The Sport Industry Access Podcast, Episode 42. How is digital sport driving the sports industry forward? Welcome to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I am your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who will inspire and encourage you to be the best you can be in your profession, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the sports industry within digital sport. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's show, this week's special guest is Dan McLaren. Dan is the founder of Digital Sport. Also, we have one thing in common. Dan is a podcaster where he is the host for the Digital Sport podcast show, where he talks with sport industry experts in the digital sports sector. Check it out. It's worth a listen, because if this is an area you'd like to pursue a career in, you will get some valuable career tips from the show. So for that reason, it's great to have Dan as a special guest on today's episode. That's why in today's show, Dan will share his sports career journey and explain how digital sport is driving the sports industry forward. Dan, it's great to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sports career journey to listeners? When did it all start? Cheers, Ed. No, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the, on your show. Um, mine started a long, long time ago. I did... Um, Actually, physical ed back at A-level. Um, back in the, that would have been the early 90s, early mid-90s. So, and then went on to do degree in sports studies over at Wolverhampton Uni. So I've always been involved in sport. I always wanted to be involved in the sport. There was, there was a short period where I wanted to join the RAF. But apart from that, it was, sports was all I wanted to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do in sport, which I think is the same for a lot of people. They just want to be in the industry. They don't know how or what. Um, so, yeah, I started off working. Originally, I wanted to be in coaching. So I took my first couple of levels in coaching, but never really got any further than that. Then I went into events and then a bit of sponsorship and then into digital about seven years ago. May I ask how you've applied your sports science degree looking back now? Well, I started, my degree was one of those that you started very generally. You could either go into doing a BA or a BSc. And I chickened out and I did a BA. So I didn't, I, I dropped the science elements for mine. So, you know, I was never the greatest at science, even, you know, Fortunately, when I was at school, you could you could drop one of the one of the three sciences. When I this is pre um, the three science module that came in, so I I kind of veered away from that. I went down the BA route. So I did a little bit of marketing, which was quite good in there as well. So it gave me a little bit of a taster, and we got to organise an event. So again, there were little things in there that probably gave me a little bit of a taster for things that happened in the future. Can you explain what you've done? after your degree with regards to the experience side of the industry of sport sure i mean i took the long route in i didn't 
I came out of doing a degree and didn't know what I wanted to do. Because um, in my day, you know, you couldn't, you didn't do a, a digital element or a sports marketing degree. They didn't exist. Um, so what I did, I kind of had a bit of a convoluted route. And then eventually I started working at the University of Reading um, doing sports development, which was a very, very loose term for what we did. It was kind of a bit of a glorified leisure centre assistant. Um, but part of it was doing a squash tournament that was there. So I managed to get involved in doing that. So it was everything from organizing what courts were going to be played, when, who the people were, getting a couple of pros in. So it was kind of everything from people who just started out to pro level. So that kind of really whetted my appetite. And then the second year, I got to organize it basically from scratch. And from there, it was like, right, I really, I, I think there's something in this. I really wanted to, wanted to do something. So my next step was writing to governing bodies and saying, I really want to get some events experience. Can I help out? Unfortunately, the badminton guys came back. And I worked on the 20, 2003, this would have been, um, All England Badminton Championships up in Birmingham. And then a few months later, they also held the World Championships. So I worked within the media team up there. So basically trying to get players as soon as they came off court upstairs to try and get them in front of the media. So again, you've got to have that kind of bit. You can't just go, right, I'm going to do this. How do I work in it? What extras can I do? That was the key for me to try and get that experience. And then from then, I and with the help of that, I managed to apply and then get a national events officer role at English Table Tennis back in 2004-05 time. Wow, that sounds really interesting. Just out of interest, looking back now, how have you seen the sports industry grow? Oh, it's grown massively. Um, I suppose I'm slightly blinkered in the whole digital side of things because the sports industry has always been huge and has always been a major part of our lives in Britain especially. We're very based around sport. You just have to read about it any any day of the week. It's a huge importance to us. And I think it's got more professional I think it's one of the things. I think it started to catch up with business and take. It used to be that more people were go from different sports roles and just kind of the same people going around and around, and sports people going to roles that they probably weren't qualified to do. Now we're being more professional about it and getting those people from outside of the industry in to expand the knowledge that's there. So these days we're seeing the likes of you know, City Group, who Manchester City are part of. They've taken the whole approach to a whole to a different level. They've got a different objective to any other team. You know, they've got four or five teams within this group. So they work differently to a Manchester United, for example, who they've gone down a different route and they're by the far the most successful when it comes to sponsorship. So they're, they're, this year they just overtook Real Madrid as the highest generating football team in the world. But then you look at outside of those sports and, you know, rugby is now very professional, very elite. Um, even the minor sports, table tennis this year, we saw experimenting with different things in terms of um, taking the some of the England matches and putting them on the likes of uh, Sport Bible, onto BBC Sports, trying out these different things. How can we reach these audiences? The days when you just organize a sports event and then paid sky to come along and film it or take a broadcast which might cost you 10 grand 20 grand for the privilege of them showing it to a few people who might be interested fortunately have started to go as 
opportunities have expanded. I think that's a big difference is that the opportunities for sports to engage with fans has just grown exponentially from, you know, just newspapers, TV and radio to all these other channels that have now developed. Absolutely. I think you've highlighted a few key points there, and I think professionalism is a big factor. In your opinion then, just for the listeners listening in, what core skills do you need to be able to work in this industry? It's a difficult one because it depends on what part of the industry you want to be in. If you go want to be a sports scientist, it's a very different core set of skills that you're going to need from a sports marketer. Um, I think there's still that kind of competitive element. I know one of the questions you wanted to ask in terms of um, – breaking into into the industry and how competitive it is it is very very competitive sport has this allure to it that it's this amazing place to work in and it's far better than any other industry so it's ultra competitive straight away and if you want to work for a club for example that narrows it down even more so it's like trying to work for the best businesses but you've not got the amount of employees that a google or a facebook might have so there are certain elements that you could probably take in terms of, which is just general people trying to get into the industry, really. It's that want to and desire to work in it and do that, go that extra yard. So whether that's getting some extra experience, getting some extra qualifications, spend the time to learn a, a slightly different skill or bit of software. And also kind of having that perseverance. One of the things that I've I always ask the question, kind of what's the best experience or piece of advice that people have had when I'm speaking to people and also try and get those nuggets out of how they got into the sports industry. And a lot of them, it's because they didn't give up. They didn't take no for an answer. They might have applied for a job and been rejected, but then gone back to the chief exec, found out how to get hold of him and said, no, 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 you're rejecting me. I think you really, really need to. Um, interview me for this and then ended up getting the job so it's taking advantage of those opportunities and just not accepting no as an answer I think it's also having the right attitude as well now relating to your specialist area with regards to sport digital how is sports digital driving the sports industry forward I think it's just helping make sense of what all these new opportunities are and Potentially as well, how to make money from them has always been the million-dollar question, literally. Um, you know, we're, we're using social media, and the question – I've been doing this for seven years now. The question has always been, how do we monetize it? And um, we're still figuring it out. But it is the way anyone that says, no, you know, social media is a fad or we shouldn't be looking at this is going to be left behind. It's such an evolving industry as life is at the moment for us with this technology. And it's just trying to help make sense of what's going on, what people should be aware of, what is going to be a fad and isn't going to be of any benefit, what lessons can be learned from previous things. Because it just is such a lightning speed at the moment. Just as we get hold of what's happening currently on Facebook, Facebook will suddenly change what it's all about. Suddenly the, the emphasis is on video. When's that going to go? Where is voice going to be another one? You know, we've seen the rise of um, like Amazon Echo, for example. Where's that all going to lead? What's what's the next iteration of that? Where are we going with esports? 
uh, where are we going with the whole OTT video? What's going to happen for ESPNs and Sky Sports this week? There's so many different questions out there that we're trying to make sense of. I find this area of the sports industry just fascinating. Would you mind explaining to listeners what inspired you to set up your company then? This was back in 2009. I'd been playing around with social media a little bit, trying to speak to clubs, trying to figure it out myself. And then I realized primarily on LinkedIn to start with, there were no groups on there. So I don't know if you know the LinkedIn groups, which uh, get quite big nowadays, but there was nothing, there was nothing talking about sport and digital. So I set up a group and then a month or so later, I thought, right, I'm going to set this up into a website. That's the next obvious stage of it. So this was January, 2010. And I wasn't brave enough to do any writing myself because I, I, I didn't think I had strong enough opinions or experience to do anything. So I got other people to come in. So it's just a matter of approaching people. So one of the first ever articles was um, by Paul Rogers, who then was the digital lead at Liverpool. So he's now at AS Roma and doing very, very well for himself and a great guy. And Les Reed as well was one of the early writers who's one of the senior directors at Southampton. And this was just before he joined and he was out in China at the time. So I was probably spent the first six months it being more of a generic sports marketing sports business website. But then my interest got more and more into the social media side of things. So in the end, I cut out most of the guest ones and started writing myself because that was what I was interested in. And I think you have to go with your heart and where your own interest is. If you're writing about things or doing things that you haven't got an interest in, it's really, really hard to do. So, you know, how can you write about something you don't have a passion for? It comes across it. You know, that article would then be very, very dry. But if you if you're very passionate about something, it should come out in what you're doing. So if you're doing a podcast, for example, the tone of your voice. If, you, if you're very bored about it, it will come across as being very monotone. But if you're very passionate about it, then people will kind of almost shout down the microphone and probably try, having to try and shut them up is, is a good thing sometimes to have to try and do that because they're obviously want to carry on talking about it. So my next question is, what inspired you to set up your own podcast show? Could you just provide the listeners what's it about and how they can also get engaged and what have you learned from this journey as well? Sure. I set it up in August last year after a few months of procrastinating almost, wondering should I do it, shouldn't I do it, what's the best way to do it, which is what we all do. We kind of have these great ideas and then find it really hard to take the next step and actually do it. So in the end, I just sod it, let's just do it. And I recorded it even before I got the proper equipment in. Um, my main reason was that I had been writing and I kept saying, right, I'm going to do an article a week from my website, digitalsport.co, but just never got around to doing it. So the other guys do a fantastic job and there's a team of two or three guys who um, write an article a day on there. But I just wasn't contributing. So I really enjoy having these one-on-one conversations. And that's one of my favorite bits is getting to know the people, sitting down with people, having a coffee or a beer, and finding out more about what makes them tick, what they think about the industry, and just having a, a general chinwag about it. So I thought, why not just stick a microphone in it and record it? So I started doing that in August. I've now recorded, I think, probably almost 40 interviews 
I did five last week. So busy day of editing ahead today. I released two two a week. So um, I got to the stage where I was recording too many to do one a week. So I set myself the challenge of doing two a week. Plus, I started doing a monthly podcast as well, which we did the first one of last month for January. And so it's just been a really fun experience, and it gets me in front of people, some who I know and having a good chat with, and some who I don't know, and finding out something new about what they do and what the industry is. So it's always a kind of experimenting process of what kind of information I'm trying to get out of them, what works, what doesn't work. Should I be doing a certain format? Shouldn't I be doing a certain, this format? And then spending, I spend probably two hours editing each episode. So I, I find it, it's great fun. I learn quite a lot. I found myself getting more opinionated about the industry as I've gone on. Because uh, I'm learning all this stuff about data in sport, esports, um, video, all these things that I might not necessarily have had a, strong, a great in-depth insight into about. But I'm now finding that I'm getting to know more and using those opinions when I'm talking to other people as well. Absolutely. It's one thing I've learned throughout my sort of podcast journey. I think the biggest thing that people forget is that you learn off people and then you apply it to your own work. Out of interest, I know you've just said you've got an editing day ahead of you, but what have you been up to recently with regards to 2017 and what are your objectives for this year? 2017 has been a slightly bonkers start to the year. It's been very, very busy um, and quite tiring, hence why I was asleep by Papa State last night. And trying to get trying to get a good few hours in, which doesn't help when I've got a thirteen month old son as well, who gets up at five o'clock in the morning. But um, yeah, I mean, I the podcast is a part of what I do, and probably takes up about a day of day a week of my time. I also work three days a week for an organisation called Velon, which brings together ten of the pro cycling teams. So I'm working on the social media side of that. Um, trying to grow the audiences, trying to grow the amount of app downloads, et cetera, that we're doing on there. So at the moment, that organization's grown from three people to about six or seven people, big year ahead. So I'm kind of on the freelance um, on that. So we'll see how that goes as the next few months go by. The whole digital sport part of it is it keeps me on my toes as well. So at the moment, so I'm organizing event for 27th of March up in Manchester at Hotel Football. So I've got to book speakers, uh, get the website ready, get people booking on, try and find sponsors, all that side of things, plus looking at doing one in London in May and then another couple at the end of the year. So that kind of plugs into my old events background as well. So I, during my time with Digital Sport, I probably organized almost 30 events over the last six, seven years. So it's something I really enjoy doing and has got me into doing public speaking myself as well. So I managed to test the bed initially because I hated doing it. But once you're hosting, you can just say a couple of words and then sit back down again. It's, it's, it teaches you how to stand up in front of people and do these things. Um, so I'm also going to be at Leeds Beckett University soon doing a guest lecture up there and talking about what I'm doing. And then we've just launched an employment service on digital sport as well. So we've got someone in who's working on that from an employment background, um, so a proper recruiter. So people have been sending in CVs. We've started getting jobs on board, so that's going to be a building bit of the website. And then hopefully as a year, year goes on, I'll be able to spend more time on digital sports. And the dream is always to have that as my full-time job. 
Sounds just fascinating, Dan. On a personal note, what have you enjoyed the most so far looking back from your whole career? I think, I don't know if it's enjoyed, but I definitely enjoyed it. But probably the most important has been setting up the website in the first place and just going out and doing it. You know, that has opened up so many doors and building up on that, on the events on the, on the back of it, getting to know people one-on-one is really, really important. You know, you can, you can know someone on Twitter or Facebook or on LinkedIn, but it's always been important to actually get in front of them, have a beer, have a coffee with them, get to know them. And those friendships have built up over the years. You know, I've, when 2010, 11, when social media was just starting out, digital marketing was still quite small within sport. And the people coming in were kind of at that base level, just learning. For, fast forward a few years, and those people are the heads of digital seniors, the CEOs. These are people who have really, really built up massive careers for themselves and built up agencies, built um, platforms and apps themselves. And it's been great to see their journey and see them go up and learn from them as well. And hopefully I can join them at some stage. It would be nice. Um, but, you know, just continuing those relationships is not just about getting to know CEOs straight away. You know, you really got to build a good network around yourself. So I think it's one of, been one of my biggest assets is the network that I've got of people. I think you just highlight a massive point, and it's always talk about this on this show. Network is so important, but also authentic relationships as well. I feel like we're at a great stage of the interview where I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. What advice would you give to university sports students who want to pursue a career in the sports industry? One of my, I did highlight earlier that whole taking, not taking no for an answer, having that, which leads into kind of my biggest learning has probably been perseverance. Um, there's many times that I've seen other people start doing things that are similar to me, getting the job that they want and then disappearing off the scene again. And I've all, I could have got rid of digital sport, which was used to be UK Sports Network, four, five, six years ago when I'd started getting the jobs that I wanted, but I, I carried on. And it's having that perseverance to prove that you're part of that industry, that, you, that you've got the staying power. People like to see that consistency almost. You know, I've not been one for staying in one job for two, three, four, five, six years, but there are certain elements to what I do which have lasted a long time with the website, with the events. Doing the podcast you know, if I suddenly stopped doing it, how many people would probably notice and go, oh, I wonder what happened to that? Maybe not that many. But I have to keep that in um, willpower and perseverance going myself. You know, I'm on a Monday. I know that I want to get a podcast out for Tuesday morning. I put that pressure on myself to do it, to get it out at 7 o'clock in the morning. So I'll be there at 10, 11, 12 o'clock the night before making sure it's done. And that I know that the, the only person that's making that happen is me. There's no one from outside kind of kicking me at the backside saying, why isn't this done? But so my biggest learning is having that patience, having that perseverance to just carry on going, even when things don't look like they're going great. Keep on going. If you keep going, the opportunities will arise. Dan, I can definitely hear your self-discipline come through as well through the mic. How can people interact with you? The website is digitalsport.co. Um, the podcast is Digital Sport Podcast, which is on Audio Boom and iTunes. Or you can get me on Twitter at, at Daniel McLaren, 
or on LinkedIn. That is great to all the listeners listening in. To be able to connect with Dan and his podcast show, there'll be links to my website relating to this blog post. Dan, it's been great chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Cheers, Ed. What a really interesting career journey by Dan. And I really hope you took on board what he was saying about the development of sport, especially in sport digital, and really having that better understanding how there is opportunity in this sector. But for me, the most rewarding element of this interview was really understanding the career journey of Dan and how he explored the sports industry first before he found his niche, but most of all his passion in what he does. And you can really get that through Dan's podcast show and what's it about and his sticking to his own beliefs. And it's one area I really do hope you took on board and especially taking those career tips from Dan and applying it to your career journey. Now, as always, at the end of each interview, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Dan said, having the patience, having that perseverance to carry on going, even when things aren't looking great, keep on going and the opportunities will arise.